What's going on, everyone? You are rolling with the Roadhogs. I'm Marlon. I'm Roger. And today, we're going to be talking about somebody else for a change. Yeah, guys, I'm very excited to announce for our 11th podcast, we have a special guest to help us out with this, with this episode. Good friend of ours, go way, 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 way back about, what, 13, 14 years, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's also a fellow F1 fan, so, I mean, bouncing off ideas and all that good stuff. We collaborate on stuff like that, so, I mean, you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Um, we're going to be talking about something in the car industry that not, not, not a lot of people think about, let's put it that way. But um, it's a crucial part of the auto industry. Yep. So, um, before we get into it, though, uh, first of all, Mara, you got to tell the people where to find us online. Guys, you can find us at flyguydrives.com slash the roadhogs, flyguydrives.com slash the roadhogs. And in very good news, we are now available to listen to across multiple platforms, not just SoundCloud. Uh, right. We're, so we're, we're available on, on what? Spotify, Google Podcasts, and what else, Roger? Uh, Radio FM, um, a few more. We're still not on iTunes. We're working on that. I expect to have that resolved very shortly, but. You can find all of our episodes across multiple platforms, guys. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, except for Apple, which will be resolved soon, you will find us. That's right. So before we get to our esteemed guest, we're talking about the, the, the top news of the day. Uh, just one news item. And that is, I mean, it's, if anything, it overshadows pretty much everything else out there. It's the new 2022, I believe, BMW M3 M4. And the biggest thing that people keep talking about, that they, they try to not, I guess, unsee, if you will, they try to unsee, is the, uh, the controversial front-end styling. I mean, I've watched a couple of reviews. I've read a couple of articles about the car. Fantastic performance. The stick shift is back, I and mean, I'll beat in the, the lower model. I mean, you know, kind of, you know, applause for that one. But the front-end styling, yeah, not quite sure what to think about that. You know, I don't know what everybody's problem is. Yes, the car could have been designed a little bit better. However, from all indications, it is a true M car in the purest sense. It is. I said this one thing about styling. I was watching a recent review. This was this morning, actually. And um, one of the journalists had spoken to the head of BMW Design and asked them, why would you do something like this? like the styling element of the car. And his response was, well, one out of five people like the style. And I'm like, <laughs> that? 20%. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's, that, that's your mark for success, but um, <laughs> I, 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 no, no. The man, says, uh, the man basically said, C's get degrees. <laughs> right? I, I'm like, no, no. But anyway, Styling aside, styling aside. That's, that's purely subjective at this point, but styling aside, I mean, holy crap, 471 horsepower, twin turbocharged three liter um, inline six, uh, 406 pound-feet of torque from the lower base model, and then the M4 competition as, uh, was it 503 horsepower, 480 pound-feet, but BMW has done away with the dual clutch transmission and gone with a... ZF8-speed automatic transmission. 
I don't know what to say about that, except that the ZFH speed in particular is a very good transmission. You find it in most new cars nowadays because it's just one of the best transmissions out there. But in an M car, an M3 specifically, I think the dual clutch was a better option, but. I understand that it works. The ZF, it works. It kind of takes away a little bit from the excitement in that it doesn't allow you to bang off the limiter the way the, the, the dual clutch did. So it's a little bit more of a tame, a little bit tamer driving experience at an above limit. But at the same time, remember that the dual clutch was, was really sort of janky on the lower, when you were you know driving around town at lower speeds, yeah. it would and jerk, you know, as dual clutches tend to do. So it's a trade-off. And to me, in my mind, I think it's one for the better that improves the livability of the car. So if you're buying the car to live at the track yet, you're going to miss the dual clutch. But if you're driving it as a, as a you know everyday vehicle, you're better off with the ZF. Yeah, 90% of the time, if you're buying, if you're driving an M car, you're going to be on highways and byways and our own town driving. So yeah, I can, I, I can kind of see how, you know, why the decision was made to go with, uh, you know, with the HP slush box. And at the end of the day, you can still get the base M3 or M4 with a manual transmission. I was so just going to get to that. They're Hallelujah. the only, they're, yeah, they're the only company right now. I mean, among the Audis and, and uh, Mercedes Benzes of the world that still offer a choice in transmission for their performance variants of their sedans. So just just bear in mind though that if you go for the manual transmission, you're gonna be stuck with the lower the lower powered drivetrain. You're gonna be stuck with 471 horsepower. If you want the competition though, there's no manual option. You're gonna have to get the automatic. And to that I say, damn the competition, get the manual, get a tune, you'll easily be at like 500, 520 horsepower, right? Yeah. Just, just tune just tune your base M3, you know what I mean? Or conversely Get one of the caddies. Ah, uh, there you go. Exactly. I listen. That's my advice right there. I mean, say what you will about them about BMW M cars. Just get the, the Germans just, go with the Americans. They got you. Exactly. Just get the manual. Okay. Just just do it. So you know, what do you guys think about the the new M3 M4? What you know, which transmission would you get? And if you say automatic, I'm probably gonna lose it. You're bad. You're, you'll never be on our pod- podcast. We'll never feature you. Hashtag save the manuals. There you go. There you go. So, you know, what do you guys think about the, the M3, M4? Comment below. Let us know what you what you think about it. But without further ado, we'll get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. So I am very, very pleased and honored to have. Can I introduce him? Can I introduce him, Marlon? Can I introduce him? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Throw, All right. I'll throw, awesome. you, I'll, throw you a bon- I'll throw you a bonus time. Go ahead. Awesome, because it was my idea in the first place to have him on. I should have this opportunity. Well, geez. Anyway. Well, geez. All right. <laughs> All right, so, so um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm very pleased, very pleased to introduce and have on the show for our very first guest, good friend of ours, good friend of the show, good friend of the family, Sean Anderson. He is the founder, president, CEO, all the top dog titles of uh, Vice One Transport. Um, I'll allow him when he comes on, you know, when he, when he, when he, when he comes on to to say a little bit more about it. However. We go way back. We're fellow car enthusiasts, fellow Jamaican. Um, I first, when I first met Sean back in, I want to say, what, 2006 or seven, something like that, we bonded over our mutual love of women and fast cars. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, Pretty good so, common uh, dominator. Yeah, man. <laughs> Sean, friend of the show, friend of the family, welcome. 
How are you doing? Thank you. I'm excellent. Thank you guys for having me. And I'm very honored to be uh, the first guest here on Fly Guy Drives. Uh, I'm sorry, when with the Roadhogs. So thank you. Thank you very much. It's it's my pleasure. And uh, yes, yes, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Sean. I mean, you and I are fellow F1 fans. And we bonded. I, I don't know about women, but we bonded over cars at first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what better lower, what better common denominator? Yeah, fast, right. I mean, fast cars, pretty women. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, just give us a, give us a background of you know what got you into cars. I mean, what was the uh, the genesis for your love of of all things automotive? Oh well, I, if I'm a hundred percent honest, I would have to say it actually starts with my father. Yeah, growing up in Jamaica, you know, it, there's a lot of JDM cars there between my father and my older brother. My older brother had a thing for RX7s. Every single one that we would see. Driving together in the car as little kids, he would point it out, RX-7, RX-7. And uh, I didn't really know what it meant at the time. I was a little kid, but it kind of started from there. My dad had a heavy right foot, you know, growing up in Jamaica. So I think that uh, that definitely carried down, you know. And and from there, it's I've been in the business, you know, pretty much my whole, my whole career. You know, he started off as a tech, a courier. You know, it was his job basically to drive and to get everything around. And I kind of fell in love with that and kind of ran with it and built my whole career one way or the other. I've pretty much always been in the automotive industry, you know, from part sales, part service, sales, car sales itself, management, service side to finally getting to the transport side of it. And, you know, wanting to use my skills that I've developed this whole time in the industry without being in the dealership, but still being able to be around cars and be into the scene. And, you know, once once I had the opportunity to be involved in the logistics side of it, getting the transports done, getting the cars moved from point A to point B in many different uh, aspects, I had to go with it. And here I am, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great journey. That's awesome, man. I remember when I, when I met you, you were, I think, I, I believe you were a service advisor for, I don't remember if it was Nissan or Infiniti. But that's when I first met you. And once I knew what you did, I was like, oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah. Man, and even man, at the time, man, yeah, that was cool my passion. At, cool at one point that you're around cars 24-7, but maybe not so cool because you're dealing with the customers who are angry about their, their, their CVT transmissions blowing up every, every now and then. <laughs> well, well, fortunately, we, we, uh, I didn't work directly in Nissan. We had a Nissan dealership in the group that I was working, but I, actually, I was actually working at a Honda store. Um, but yes, the Nissan store was next door, and we did used to make fun of those guys and see them see them backed up with all those CVTs. Actually, uh, I, I distinctly remember that it was hilarious. But fortunately, I didn't have to deal with people screaming at me because their uh, their Nissan training blew up. But yes, it was a very exciting time in my life. I when at the time when yeah. I was uh, working in service, I would have done that job for free. Uh, it was truly a passion of mine. I was got to combine the two things I like to do the most, which was help people and be around cars. Yep. And I got paid well to do it. So um, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how passionate. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me share with you guys how passionate Sean was about his about his his job. Okay. <clears throat> we would go out in the middle of the week <laughs> to parties in Miami, man, and stay up till like five, six o'clock in the morning. And this man, we'd be we'd be staying down in Pembroke Pines, and this man would drive all the way back to West Palm Beach. <laughs> Completely <laughs> back with no sleep to start his work day on a third on a like Friday morning, you know what I mean? Like, like he was he was that serious about getting getting to work in the morning. Like he was as passionate about fetting during the week <laughs> <laughs> as as getting back to the ground. Man, I loved it. And doing his job <laughs> in the morning. All right, 
So yeah, man, just 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 to harken back to those old fun days when we used to just like to be young and before any any major any major responsibilities and the responsibilities of uh, having kids and families and stuff like that. That was a different time, you know. I had to Dif- different times for sure. <laughs> different times, uh, different times, man. I love partying with Sean. Sean was fun. Sean was fun to be around. So when I met you, you were in the service department for you know one of the major auto dealerships in the in the area. So what was the transition from being in the service dealership or in the service capacity rather to know what you're doing now, which is like, you know, like what was our process going from then to what you're doing right now, as far as like shipping cars and transport and so on and so forth. So probably the main motivator was, um, you know, as with all of us is once I started having a family, my passion kind of shifted. I still knew I loved cars. I still knew I wanted to be around the industry or involved in the industry in some way. But the number one downside with the dealership to anyone that tells that's had extensive experience working in a dealership is you trade your time, right? You have to be there, right? There's no two ways around it. You know, it's not a work, it's not an environment that really would lead to any kind of working from home or any, any opportunities like that. If you want to be successful, you have to be, as a good friend of mine would say, you had to be in the lane if you were in service or if you're in sales, you had to be in front of a customer. But once things started changing for me and I, I started prioritizing, wanted to be home with the family, I still wanted to find a way to be in this industry. How can I take all the skills that I've learned, all the people skills that I've acquired, all the product knowledge, all the um, customer service skills, sales, all of that expertise, how can I take that and, and apply it without being still into the dealership role? And then um, when I had the opportunity to work in the logistics of actually moving cars from point A to point B, and I realized that all my skills transferred and then some, um, and I was still in the industry, uh, it became a no-brainer. Coincidentally, I actually came across the opportunity. It was just a random Craigslist, Craigslist post that got me into this side of the industry. I don't even remember the specifics of the ad, but basically called in, had an interview with the guy. I said, yeah, we're looking for somebody to help us in logistics. He kind of explained how it works. I, I went in, kind of did it there. I was the first person to added to that team as well, kind of helped grow the business. The two owners at the time kind of went their different ways, but I saw an opportunity and I said, hey guys, we should just be focusing on acquiring our own customers, long story short, and working directly with dealers instead of competing online for the leads. They didn't go that route. So, you know, eventually when they, when their company dissolved, I basically picked up the ball and ran with it. You know, and and that's here I am. You know, three four years later, you know, just coming off the back of my my best year, and growing. And yeah, that's kind of the story. Curiously, Sean, that that story of how you got started sounds really familiar because that's basically the same way how our dad got started with his business back in the day. Okay. You know, the owners kind of went their own ways, dissolved, and my dad found an found an opportunity, and you know, grew the business from there. So. It's a lot of times, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the owners were a little bit older. A little bit. The, the primary, yeah, the primary was. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of times, you know, it takes a younger, keen, hungry eye to kind of like spot opportunities and exploit them to, the, to, the, sure. you know, to their benefit as much as possible. So, you know, kudos to you, man. Yeah, I mean, thank you. It's, uh, it still amazes me that it was just kind of so obvious, you know, the, the, the model that they were working on. <laughs> You know, it was basically compete with a lot of other companies to try to win the same customers or just create your own customer base. It, it, that's really what the choice boiled down to. 
And I said, hey, guys, you can just get your own customers by making this little pivot. They're like, okay, yeah, cool. And they just didn't do it. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was like, okay, okay thanks, bye. And I'm like, okay. They didn't do it. Eventually, it went their own way. And a year later. I think it boils down to, 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 to the owners just being well-rooted in what they already knew versus, you know, pivoting to what was the new i guess model is now because you know like you know, you sure. know like, like we're talking about earlier before we came on before we came on air is people are buying cars online right now absolutely more than ever before they need a way to get the cars from where they are to where they need to be sure you know so it, to tag on to what roger said earlier sometimes it takes a younger hungrier eye to kind of see where the industry is going and to be able to capitalize on on that new model. So, I mean, kudos to you for seeing that and basically picking up the pieces, picking up the ball and just rolling with it. And, you know, you know, well, here you are, you know? Yeah, yeah. So Sean, let me ask you, how different was it sort of pivoting from the dealer service side of the business to the logistics side? In my mind, it's, it's one thing to sell a car or a, or a car part or anything. And it's another thing to entirely to get it to the customer. So tell us, tell us a little bit about how that pivot was for you and the challenges that you faced in, you know, getting to where you are now. Sure. Well, as far as the actual explaining the process or, or the actual my role um, as being the shipping agent or the shipping broker uh, at the time is actually very similar to what a service advisor does. So what a lot of people don't realize is the service advisor's job is actually to translate mechanic speak into regular speak, right? When a, when a uh, Tech comes up with an estimate and tells you, hey, you know, you need to change all your muffler bearings. You know, if you don't change, if you don't replace your headlight fluid, <laughs> you know, you're, yeah, yeah. If you don't change your blinker fluid, your, your, your flux capacitor is going to blow up and all. But basically, it's to turn industry gibberish or, or technical terms into where it, into a language that a customer or somebody that's person, an, a layperson can understand. So. In some respects, uh, I had to use the same skills as far as explaining to people the process of what it takes to get your car fixed, right? And in translate that in the same way as far as explaining to people, hey, this is how the industry works as far as getting your car to be one of nine cars that's on a truck that has to go from point A to point B. The skill difference or the translation wasn't that that hard. The transition wasn't that hard. It's just a matter of learning the industry, but to actually, you're actually applying the same skills as far as explaining to people um, how the process works, because that's what a service advisor's job does is is to explain how the process works. As a broker, it's it's also the same. It's also my role in in the same respect. I have to explain how the process works. How do we logistically arrange to move your car? from California to Florida on a schedule that works for you while also juggling the eight other cars that have to be on this big nine car hauler and kind of explaining to a whole bunch of different people that's, you know, potentially going on the same truck at the same time. It's, it's, it's very similar. It doesn't sound on paper that you wouldn't think it is, but it, it's almost the same job, believe it or not. It sounds like you have to do a lot of work to sort of temper your customers' expectations, right? Because yes, managing expectations is probably the 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 number one key to success in both both industries. Because if I'm a customer, I'm expecting to and I, and I order a vehicle or I'm having a vehicle transported, 
I'm expecting to have it there, you know, when I say I want it there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Correct. Correct. And and no, not that straightforward. No. And in, in my line of work, no one really thinks about the fact that their car is on the truck with a whole bunch of other cars that are, aren't necessarily coming from the same place and aren't necessarily going to the same place, even at the same time. In a lot of ways, what logistics is magic <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's really, a lot of it is, it's, it's almost like, it's like working improbable miracles on a daily basis consistently. It's, it's really strange because once you get used to it and once you kind of see it, sometimes being on the inside and you see how something lines up to get something done, it'll blow your mind. It doesn't sound like it, but when you see how it works day to day from the inside and it was like, okay, wow, these cars are here. This car is in between this route. It needs to go to point B. All the other cars are kind of going somewhere else. How do we get this to line up? And then you kind of just work the system work the process that you know, build on, on all the contacts and everything. And, and it just, you know, at the end of the day, it ends up working out. And you're just like, how did that happen exactly? <laughs> like in the real world, what just happened here? And the customer, nine times out of the 10, the customers, it's just, okay, my car showed up when they said it would. And they they don't realize you what know, all the things the that had to, to happen. To get there yeah. when it did, yeah. Yep, and all the other people that had to get lined up. It's you get your package of Amazon, you get your car delivered, you get your garbage taken away, and it's all magic. No one cares. Or and anything. it's all expected. Don't care about how it works in the background. Just did it show up, and it, it, it did. Show up. Is it gone? Good. You know what I mean? Yep. I totally get it. I And I appreciate that you said that because what you do, you know, is a part of the modern lifestyle that we've all grown accustomed to and, you know, for the most part, take for granted. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty much e-commerce at its best. It's logistics. You buy something online and you expect it to show up at a certain and you know at a certain time or a certain day or whatever, and it shows up. You don't think about the many gears involved in in the process that it takes to get that like that one package to there. So, you know, going off of that, no, how about you give me an example? Let's say, for example, I've kind of always wanted an R34. I'm not, I know I'm never gonna have one because you know that's like hundreds of thousands. No, you see, don't pigeonhole yourself, dog. Don't. Yeah, you have no, you. It can happen in any way. You have no idea. All right. So let's say that I'm in the market for an R34. Um, okay. There's, uh, I believe, it's Top Rank Imports. I believe it is in California that delves in 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 JDM Imports. So I call them up. Hey, I need an R34. Here's the money. Whatever. Okay, it's in California. Mm-hmm. How? Take me through the process of what it takes to get that car from California to my garage in South Florida. Like, do I call you? Do I tell the, the dealer at the initial end, hey, I have my own shipper? Or let's say, for example, I want you to ship my car from California to here. Sure. What do I? So, yeah, generally, I mean, the process is pretty straightforward. You know, I actually encourage people just to text me um, as well. But someone will tell me, and then this happens, you know, multiple times daily. Someone will text me, hey, I have a car in El Paso. I need to get it to Long Island. And, and in that case, what I do is once someone sends me a request, we need to get this car from point A to point B, or we'll stick with your example, California to Florida. I'm able to go and I can look on the routes, right? And I can see which other cars are all floating around in the area from the same like 100 mile radius of where your car needs to go from to within another 100 mile radius. Or I can I can tighten that 
down if I need to and see how many cars are going roughly when is yours ready versus when all the other cars that are going on a similar route will be ready. Um, at that point, I can kind of see how many trucks generally cover that area, uh, how many of them have space, and then I can reach out to some of the carriers, some of the, the drivers and say, hey, I've got this car coming up that needs to go here. Um, the customer is willing to, you know, depending on urgency, which is is one of the, the things that go into the price uh, or factor into how much you'll pay is how fast do you need it, right? Because it kind of goes on a bidding system. I can then kind of put you in line and say, okay, this car has to go from California to Miami. There's 20 other cars that also need to go. And I need to get you, depending on how urgently you need the car, higher or lower on that priority list. Right. As the spots are being filled up, the higher priority cars, the the jobs that are offering more to the driver are much more likely to get picked up sooner. You know, first it's simple business. Right. Uh, and in that case, once the truck is filled and and yours by the and yours is one of those spots on the truck, that's when I will let you know, okay, this is this truck that's gonna be in the area at this time. This is the pickup window. The truck's gonna be in California, you know, over the next day, day and a half doing all the pickups. Once it gets loaded. You know, our standard transit time will be six to nine days, and then that's when it gets dropped off. Um, and then we just kind of work out the fine details with the driver from there. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with glorified tow trucks, right? These big rigs, it's, it's really what they are. They're, they're glorified tow trucks. But the drivers or the owners of the trucks themselves don't actually have the time because they're busy driving or busy planning the route. They don't actually have the time to coordinate with the with each customer that's there directly. So that's when somebody in my in my um, capacity as a broker, as a freight shipping agent, that becomes my role to be the person that coordinates with between the driver and the customer and the other cars that are on the on the route as well. And kind of make everything happen in that respect. A lot of it's all, done, especially nowadays, it's all done online. Um, we've really worked on a lot of the efficiencies. The way the way that the load boards work now um, is, you have a lot of information at your fingertips. So it becomes it's technology driven now. Where before it used to be a lot of back and forth on the phone. So, but nowadays it's it's mostly technology driven, and um, yeah, that's pretty much how it works. Okay, so just to get it in, in a nutshell, so I, I order my car today. I call Top Rank tomorrow. Say, hey, I'm a shipper. I take, I send you a text, and basically within a certain amount of time, you're able to tell me, well, based on when you need it, here is the shipping window, basically. And of course, correct. Depending on how urgently I need the car, the price is going to fluctuate from there. So if I need it, if it's if I need the car like in two days, I can be done I, because I just want to sit there and adore my car <laughs> in two days. Sure, then you got to. So if I'm you gonna pay, yeah. obviously I'm going to pay more for that. But Correct. if I'm able to be Correct. flexible as far as like, yeah, I don't really need it right now because, you know, I got other R34s in my garage to adore, then the price becomes a little bit more palatable, so to speak. Absolutely. And basically, it sounds like if you're going to, if you want the car sooner, you're going to have to pay for some open spots. Well, it's exactly. So if you want to really expedite something, right? So I've had people where um, they're like, listen, I need this car to be in my driveway within two days and it's on the other side of the country. I said, well, basically what you need to do in this case is you need a single car carrier or a small two car carrier. So basically this would be actually be like a heavy duty pickup with a, a an enclosed trailer. You're going to charge. So it's the same as if you're chartering a plane. So in F1, right? In, in Formula One, say one day the motor blows, right? That was the last spare motor they had on a Friday. Qualifying's tomorrow morning. And we blew all the motors. What do they do? They get an airplane 
and they fly in and you injure them. Well, that's going to cost because that airplane is only taking that, that, engine, that, that engine. new yeah. engine. Mm-hmm. So that option is there. I've had that. Um, actually, interestingly enough, a gentleman had a, an Ariel Adam. Uh, he needed it from South Carolina, shipped to Texas. He needed it there the next day. And that's pretty much what we did. I, I put out a, a call basically within a 300 mile radius to see which trucks, which one of these expedited trucks were in the area. It cost a pretty penny, but we got it done. And that's that's pretty much how it works. And then the, the flip side of that is the same deal. If you're not at any kind of timeline, right? And you say, listen, if this car shows up six weeks from now, I don't care, right? You're you're able to get a much more economical rate because at, at some point during that six-week window, right, there may be a truck that's in the area that's looking for something. Hey, he's like, I've got three empty spots and I've got to get out of here, Right. And in which case, it, it takes some luck. You know, you'll have a truck that has an empty spot, one of the bigger trucks, and he'll just be like, you know what? I'm going this way anyway. I don't want to go with these empty spots. How much are you offering to ship that car cross country? Just hitchhiking that. 500 bucks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just throw it on the back, man. I'll take it. I'm going there anyway. Right. So I'm going, not, in, that, not I'm going in that direction anyway. So let's just take it. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't have anything else to go with it. So that's not, and, it, and it's, it's works like standby in the airline industry. If there's a spot open for you, then you get lucky and you can get on this one. But if all the other trucks or if all the other planes are going by and Hey, we're full, you just wait. Right. right? So it, it's the same as if you're, you know, even FedEx, you want something overnighted, it costs more. If you don't care and you want to ship it ground, it costs a whole lot less if you just want to wait. So it's very similar logistics and it's funny, even in airline industry, people don't realize it, but the people are the cargo. And that's why your airline ticket can vary so yeah. much. Yep. You know, you can look at the same. Yeah, you can look at the same route one week out and the price is, you know, a hundred dollars difference. You're going the same direction. But the difference is, is it's basically supply and demand. How many flights are going that way and how many of them are booked? If they're all booked up and there's only like two or three spots left, the airlines know that the price goes up. It's a, it's the exact same thing um, when you're dealing with logistics for for anything cars you know general freight it, it doesn't really matter um, but that's that's transport in a nutshell. Okay, so let's say that my R34 like I need my R34 to be in impeccable condition while it's being transported. So I need my trailer to be climate controlled. I need it to be enclosed. Yep. The price goes up because that's just more I guess amenities I'm asking for in terms of. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, if you like it, yeah, if you want a premium service, you're going right. to pay a premium yeah. price. The difference between staying at the Motel 6 and the Ritz Carlton, man. Come on. <laughs> Same, it's the great analogy. <laughs> yeah. Do you don't care if your car gets dirty? Hey, if it's hailing, you'll take that risk. Yeah, throw it on an open trailer. I don't care. Rock chips. Yeah, dirty. I don't care. Hey, if you need the car to show up with the exact same miles that it had when it got picked up, you don't want it moved the same way the de- the dealer detail. And I've had this happen. I've had a car go right from detail right into an into an enclosed trailer and delivered right to a guy's garage. The car basically saw open air for I don't know twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and there is yeah, there's there's very there's vast levels of service. There's white glove service. You know, when I'm shipping Maybachs or Ferraris or, you know, Lamborghinis, I'm not putting that on an open trailer. No way. Even for liability reasons, you don't even have enough insurance coverage anyway. <laughs> but from just a, from, yeah, but just from a matter of even CYA for myself, 
you know, I'm not taking that light. And I've had people that that ask me that, hey, can I ship my, you know, my Gallardo on an open trailer? No, not with me. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe someone else will take that risk. But as a professional, it's my job to advise you as to why it's not worth saving the $300 to ship your Lamborghini on an open trailer. It's worth it to spend it because I've seen the downside, you know, I've seen the, the cars that show up on time that literally not a scratch. They went in showroom condition from when it was picked up to when it was delivered to people that cheaped out and said, I don't care how it gets shipped. Just get it here. And I'm like, well, do you want the car in one piece or not? <laughs> and then it's, if they're, I'm not too particular, then you can go with the bottom of the barrel guys. But I personally, I, I don't, you know, I won't do it anyway. It's just, I'm experienced enough to know, listen, shipping a car is not really the place to cheap out. Think about it. You're shipping the second most expensive thing you own. In most cases, if you don't own a house, typically your car is the most expensive thing you own. Do you really, <laughs> yeah. Do you really want that to be done as cheaply as possible? Sometimes I, I, I literally say that to people. I said, think about, think of, think for a second what you're really asking me. You're asking me to ship the most expensive thing you own for as little as possible. And then sometimes that's when that light bulb clicks and they're like, oh, I see what you mean. And I'm like, yeah. It's, and I'm, I'm not asking. It's not, I'm not even doing this from a matter of, oh, you know, this is good for my business. I'm charging you more, her, her. No, I'm honestly thinking about, I'm looking out for the customer and say, this is not the place to cheap out. I understand wanting to save money. I'm a real person in the real world. I don't want to spend more than I have to. But at the same time, the potential headache for trying to cut corners and saving that last hundred dollars is simply not worth it. It's just not, it's that simple. I, I feel like it also, it probably also comes from a place of like a, a healthy respect for the automobile as a, as a, as, <laughs> as a, as an object of uh human, uh, human intellect and, uh, and, and engineer. But there's a little bit of that. Too. <laughs> this, this sounds like a good place to kind of like pivot. Right. Cause one of the things I've always wanted to ask you, Sean is, um, and, you've named a few already, but like, can I share with the, with the crew, one of the best experiences you've had in terms of like the car that you shipped, like one of the coolest cars that you've ever um, shipped, one of the best customers you've ever shipped. And then conversely, one of the like worst experience. Yikes. Um, so probably, I mean, I've shipped a lot of exotics, but I probably the one that sticks out the most is actually that the Ariel Adam I mentioned earlier that was a very rewarding shipment. Just everything kind of went smoothly, you know, and, and also one of the things that actually gave me a lot of pride about that is that the customer initially had reached out to a couple other people and they couldn't get it done. They couldn't get it done on this timeline for whatever reasons. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask that, but they just could not get his car picked up. You know, it wasn't a matter of the guy not be not being willing to meet the budget that they were telling. I, 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 and I, and I'm not sure how, but for me, it was kind of obvious what needed to be done. You know, the car was in a, it wasn't in a heavy traffic. It wasn't in a heavily covered area as far as the amount of trucks that are going in the area. But a lot of times, if the driver's not looking on that, that particular route, you just have to basically either make the call or post the car in an area where they would normally look, right? I guess people weren't willing to go that extra step um, to get it done, but that was probably the most memorable and coolest car that I shipped was shipping that um, that Ariel Adam enclosed expedited from South Carolina to Texas. I've shipped a lot of exotics, like I said, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, uh, Maybachs, Rolls Royce, 
a lot of JDM cars, <laughs> Skylines, you name it. it. Was, is it um, that you said there was a there was an Aerial Atom in South Carolina. You know what I mean? Like the Aerial Atom is already a very rare vehicle, and you know, yeah, it's <laughs> when you said it was originating in South Carolina initially. I was like, cool, you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy, no, he he was purchasing it off. Yeah, he bought it off off you know the owner, and he was like, look, I need that car here, and he he was looking to get it so that he could take it to the track. I think he had a track meet coming Hell up, yeah. and he was like, look, I can't miss this track day. I just bought an aerial <laughs> out of him. This is this is hype. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, this needs to go. I can't show up to the track. Hey man, where's that? Out of <laughs> uh... <laughs> like, bro, like where is it? What's up? Yeah, I, I really bought it, guys. Uh, trust me. Look here. No, <laughs> if it's not at the track, it's not there. But yeah, I just find it funny that you say, "Oh, you know, I shipped, you know, I shipped Ferraris and Rolls Royces and Lamborghinis and whatever." But the most, but the most memorable car I shipped was an Aerial Atom, and it's like, okay, that car is pretty rare. So <laughs> that was actually going to be a question, but you already answered it. So, <laughs> yeah. and for the un- uninitiated, for the, the folks listening, you know, who may not be aware of what the Aerial Atom is, the Aerial Atom is like. Basically, a road legal F1 car, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it's think of an F1 car. Don't think of an F1 car on on your local highway. That's kind of what it is. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> you want cup holders? <laughs> nope. You want a stereo? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. You listen to the engine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Four tires, steering wheel, and yeah, we go it's really exactly. fast. Um, but yep. And it's it's funny because as far as like a lot of the exotics, I, I ship a lot of JDM cars, cars that actually get imported as well. I, we do a lot of pickup from the ports, you know, Toyota Chasers, Crown, Soarers, you know, R33, R32. I've, I've shipped a lot of those. I had a very interesting experience. Actually, I'm in the middle of that one now. I, I don't even know if I should go into detail. Maybe I'll do this one when we go yeah. off air. But you know later. Later, yeah. We don't want we don't want yeah. to say any, any, any identifying information if the if the person wants to. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to ask, ask something else, though, Sean. I want to ask something else, though. This is, I guess, related to something you just mentioned. But coming as a car enthusiast and and as a logistics guru, right? One thing that has come about recently is there's a movement to reduce the import. The import limitation in terms of like the age of a car, yeah. The twenty-five year, the twenty-five year rule. So there's a move now to kind of like either a eliminate it, which is highly unlikely, but also b reduce it to something like close to like ten or even five years. What's your stance on that? I have an idea of what that might be, but what's your stance on that, and how might that improve a obviously your business and b as a car enthusiast, what would be the next car you'd like to see imported? Ah, good question. I mean, right now, most of the ones I'm seeing are those, you know, older JDM cars, you know, R32, R33 Skylines, you know, the Supra's always there. People are importing those. Um, What's the other one? Jay-Z 80s. See a lot of um, crowds. You know, what's surprising is that a lot of people are actually importing like the big body JDM yeah, cars, I've seen right? Those. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So basically, like the the Q forty like, that we have the Q forty five here. Well, in in you know Japan, it's the mm-hmm. president. Uh, basically, people are importing a lot of those. The crowns, um, Toyota crowns as well. You're starting to see those. What what's a few of the other ones? 
Um, but as far as relaxing the the limitation, I mean, yeah, if they do that, then you know that's only going to increase the market, and it's only going to you know allow people to to import more cars. Do you think it might affect the the local industry in terms of like? No, demand is so demand is is strong right now, and 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 anyone that's an enthusiast you know, you want to be spoiled for choice. You you want, you know, more options and, and more of these cars to come in per se. Um, it's, it's good for the market. You know, people are still getting, if you have a clean car, right? If you get a clean car imported, someone's going to pay top dollar for that car, right? Um, if it's, if it's the car that they're looking for, but the, the process is so much more streamlined now. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but there's hundreds, if not thousands of cars that are imported on a weekly basis um, that come into, you know, all, between all the different major ports, between, you know, Cali, um, Baltimore, Galveston, Florida, you, you name it, um, you know, Philly, Jersey. These cars come in every day. You know, these ships are coming in routinely. You know, if you're in the industry, you see it and it's just it's just normal. It's just, OK, there's a oh, look how many JDM cars <laughs> came in today. It's just it is what it is. But then once they get kind of get shipped all over the country, then it, it kind of seems like it gets diluted. But make no mistake, there are this is a thriving, thriving business right now. The, you know, it's between all the online forums that I'm that I'm a part of where people that, that contact me, you know, every day to ship the cars. For me, it's uh, I don't think I would see a, a big difference as far as how many cars you know, would go in or, or whether or not that would dilute the what, market. What, what recent model would you like, or you, would you be excited to see? Ooh. That, um, like Japan, Europe, Australia. Good question. I mean, you can always use more stylized. Listen, Sean, I'm so happy to have you on because my last 10 episodes have been bashing the shit out of Nissan. Save for maybe like one episode where we're like super excited for the the um the 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 Z Proto or the 400Z as we expect it to be named. Yep. So it's it's good to have you on to sort of act as a. <laughs> yeah, I gotta right be that counter right side that listing I mean, ship a... there. Um, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but to be to be a hundred percent honest, though, I've kind of been so swamped. I haven't even been looking into like which cars are coming out and and like a lot of the specs are. It, it kind of is like a double edged sword. I haven't had the really the 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 time or the inkling to kind of follow that side of the passion. I've been so involved in actually getting everything done and making everything happen. It's not that much like to go to a car the, the first and especially you know with the pandemic. The first car related outing I've been to in like the last maybe two three years is I I went to PBIR a couple of weeks ago when they they had an event there, um, and I haven't been actually haven't been out even before the pandemic. For maybe about a year and a half, you know, between family, kids, business, and 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 everything in general, just hadn't been into the scene anywhere near as much as I as I yeah, used to. Those events at PBIR are starting back up, by the way. So, yeah, we just we, yeah, um, neighbor of mine and and I, and my son, uh, we went up to the last one they had up there, and mm. it was, a good was event. really it was stupid crowded up there. Like like the both lanes of the highway were like it was like like a it was. they turned the highway into a parking lot. That's that's literally where I parked right in the wow. middle of the road. Well, not the road, but in the actual median. Anybody that wanted to run their car, like um, Simone's, my wife's cousin, uh, he went to bring his car, and he was sitting in the line for so long, and he eventually told me he's like, "Forget that," and he actually left. He didn't even make it in. But yeah, it was a zoo out there. Literally, people were parking 
the whole middle, the median was full. People were parking on both sides of of fourth of um of Beeline Highway there, and they're just walking in, which is which is literally yeah. What I've been. Yeah, I've been to I've been to those events before, and I can tell you, I can tell you when it's a, when it's a when it's a big event that that, that Beeline Highway is just like ransacked um north and south, east and west and whatever. You're walking in. <laughs> you're yep. parking like five miles yeah. away, and you're walking the rest of the way. You know. Yep, yeah, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was still a little, you know, for obviously it's an outdoor event, you know, so pandemic wise. Um, I will say this, I was impressed. Most people were still really responsible. Everyone still kept their mask on and social distance as much as they could. <laughs> uh, all things considered. <laughs> but yeah, it we still made it work. Good, you good, know, we good. still made it work. As a pandemic sort of hopefully, you know, comes down, you know, later on this year, you know, we're hoping to see more of these um car events come back and we're able to get out there and see cool cars and stuff like that was a it was an import dealer in orlando had reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and i guess they saw that i review cars and they say hey you know we are a jdm importer of uh you know, all things jdm for example and uh just wanted to know if you wanted to come up here and take a look around i'm said, oh yeah sure i have friends and i have family in orlando definitely the reason why i mentioned that is kind of tugging off what roger had said earlier is you're seeing the, the market for, for JDM cars kind of go up. Like people are just literally thirsting after these cars, right? I know there's a very big demand for that R34 Skyline when it finally becomes available for import, I believe in about a year or two, where people are buying them in Japan and storing them there until they're able to get them on a ship to bring them over here. Now, my question to you is, Sean, is, I know that you deal with a lot of trucking when it comes to you know shipping cars from here to there. Has anyone ever reached out to you to say, hey, I have this JDM car in California, just got there. I need it tomorrow. Have you ever had to look outside of the trucking industry and say, hey, okay, let me see how I can get this thing here by next day or the next day or two? You ever had to load in an, in, in, load a load a car on a plane, <laughs> which is kind of what I was getting at. <laughs> so, no, so I haven't had anyone have that level of uh, urgency to get a car uh, moved. It is possible to do air freight, but that's actually a different side of the industry. It's not something that I would handle directly. I do have air cargo colleagues that would handle something like that where they're like we're literally like if someone says i need this car here tomorrow by next day next day. It, it is possible but that's not really my area of, of expertise i am definitely much more as far as like the trucking ground logistics i can get a car driven by somebody that's actually a, a federally licensed and has insurance so if somebody actually says hey i need this car and i need it asap and i'd actually rather somebody drive it to me versus putting it on a truck that's actually possible i've done it before most cases when that that's it's actually usually heavy equipment you know like or or like a box truck things like that or actual semi itself that won't fit on another truck in in some cases and someone will say hey i need this moved so i send a driver to do it and they'll drive it with a transporter plate um that i've done and and it's it's definitely there and there's a demand for it. Obviously, no one, not as much volume, but there's a demand for it. And there's the service exists uh, to get that done. Wow. 100%. So, so if somebody doesn't want, doesn't necessarily want the vehicle on a truck, for example, and they just want that car driven itself, you know, from wherever it's going to, wherever it's supposed to go to, 
there are actually people that do that, yep. like actually jump in the car and drive it down to wherever it needs to go. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, they, they'll do it. And if they can, they can coordinate with one car going to one location and then pick up another one and go back. It's That's tough to do. Usually, t- typically what's done is whenever they drive it out, uh, wherever their end destination is, they'll just hop yes, on a flight fly and back fly back home. And that, yeah, and that, you know, you, you cover the cost of the ticket as well, which, you know, in this day and age is usually not much to fly across It reminds the me of that famous, one of my favorite automotive movies, Vanishing Point. I don't know if you know, it, 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 it's an old, like, 1960s, 1970s, where this guy was, it was kind of the inspiration for, for, for Adriana as I'm like, all-American trip road trip many years ago. Um, it was a, it, it was, it's a, this guy was delivering a white Dodge Charger from, I think it was LA to Las Vegas or something like that. He was driving through the desert and these guys were chasing him and whatever. Guys, look it up. Vanishing Point, excellent automotive movie. But it kind of reminded me, like, the guy was paid to drive the car from one place to another as a delivery, you know? So I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't think much about that. But then when you mentioned that we have people that actually do that, I'm like, oh, okay, that actually exists. I didn't. Yeah, it's a it's thing. A fiction. Yeah, cool. All right. Okay. No, let me use this opportunity. I know, I know, you know, we, we've been on for almost an hour now, but I, I, we got to get a little bit personal, right? We got a little bit personal, Sean. So then I ask you a couple, couple questions, right? I believe that you've owned or leased more cars than me and Marlon combined. <laughs> and <laughs> you know where this is going. You know where this is going. <laughs> a little bit, you know, like. You know, as a man of, of many wheels, you know, tell us, like, what was your favorite car that you've owned? And feel free to include your wife's vehicles as well, you know. What was your favorite car that you ah, um, what you own now, what you're running now? Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your, what you're driving right now and what you've driven in the past, man. Okay, as far as driven in the past, uh, you know, I'm a Nissan man kind of at heart. Uh, I did stray from the nest for my last car I had, which was a, a BMW 650, which actually started out. My brother made the mistake of letting me drive his uh, his M6 for a week, right? <laughs> so <laughs> how that story goes is, I say brother, he's, he's a friend that I've known from, you know, since we were from, kids. From he's he's from like Wiley. a brother. Exactly. So he had to go out of town for about a week. Um, he had to fly out of Miami airport. He, he was originally, I don't remember if he was living in Jacksonville or Atlanta. He was living in Jacksonville. So he drove down, he drove his M6. He didn't want to leave it at the airport. So he was like, Hey, while you're here, while I'm out of town, I'll leave the car with you. Or if you want to drive it or whatever, fine. So I drove an M6 for a week, um, which is as anyone could tell you, if you've driven an M6, it's it's an absolute. It's a the, the best description I've heard for an M6 is that it's a gorilla in a tuxedo, right? Absolute. This thing was absolute monster, but it's so dressed up, right? Um, drove it for a week and said to the wife, I, "I've we've got to have it." <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not giving this back. <laughs> no, yeah, you know there's. I'm not sure what he's going to do when he comes back from England, but I, I'm not, I don't think these keys in this car is going back with this guy. So after he beat me up and he took his car back, <laughs> I said, next, you know, after it was a fight, but, it, you know, he won and he got his car back. Fine. I said, fine. You want a car? Fine. You can have it. So I did the next best thing. Um, and I got a, I bought a BMW 650 and I kept that for about a year and a half. Very, very similar. Not the same but very similar experience. 
The only downside is, is anybody that's owned a, a BMW will tell you is the, the running expenses. No, not fun. So being a, yeah, especially for someone that's used to Japanese cars where they don't really, they don't really break down catastrophically yeah, or anything I mean, like that. I didn't want to be the guy that said, oh yeah, I blew the turbos on my on my 650 and got to change it. But I didn't want to be that guy. So I, I only kept that car for about a year and a yeah, half, we, two years. Yeah, we mentioned in a bad light more often than not on this on this podcast. So don't worry, you're, you feel free to express what you feel. Okay. My man yeah. was playing the odds. He was like, you know what? <laughs> I, no, no, that's, it's, that's exactly what okay. happened. I, I got the car, you know, relatively low miles. Um, I, I don't really like buying new cars. Uh, definitely wouldn't, at the time, definitely wouldn't buy a, a new 6 Series. Um, for me, the driving experience is the same. You get a low mileage, a, a used low mileage car, you know, you basically let the other exactly. guy eat the depreciation and you get to drive the car for, you know, however long you want. And then when you're done with it, you know, trade out of it. But the 650, 650, you definitely... When I when I cheated on Nissan was a definite experience. Now that I'm back in a Nissan fold, I, I drive a um, 2018 Red Sport, which is a lot, of, which is fun. Doesn't have the torque that the that the six series does, but it's very 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 enjoyable car. The wife has a Ghibli, which is the my description for that car is that a Ferrari made an Accord. That's what the Maserati Ghibli is, right? The the driving in that car she has the you know s it's not the sq4 it's not fast but the exhaust note convinces you that you're driving and it's an experience what is what it is or experience let, let me tell you something when that yeah as far as factory exhaust in any sedan on the market whether you name it i don't think there's a better i don't think there's another car in the market that has a better sounding factory exhaust, uh, a better four door car than a Ghibli. Hands I was, down. I was gonna, <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I mean, just, yeah, no, just as a sedan. No, you know, obviously not, you know, you, 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 you know, whip out a, a Ferrari or something like that. But cold start in a Ghibli sport mode in our garage, it wakes up all the neighbors. There's nothing else that really sounds like that. From a factory car, um, hell of a car. The shifting, the the burbles, the pops that it makes. Uh, there's there's no other car really on the market. I gotta ask like you this that. though: Was the Mazda your idea or her idea? Yeah, the Maserati. One hundred percent. I would never. I, <laughs> I, I would like never buy that. I car. feel like. <laughs> no, that. You know what? I would never buy that car. <laughs> you know what? I, like, I, I I didn't want to get too personal, <laughs> but. No, that get- was a one hundred percent her buy. I had no, I had nothing to do with it, and if it were up to me at the time, she would never have uh, bought that car. But in hindsight, now that we have it and and have driven it, and it's it's an experience. It's still not the car that I would ever get up and wake up one day and say, "Okay, let me go and buy a Ghibli or any Maserati to, to do exact." But but I enjoy it. I will say it, it's very enjoyable. And, you know, in the very rare occasions when she lets me drive it, which she has no, you know, she has no issues driving my cars, but it, on the rare occasion when she does let me drive that car, it okay. uh, it's enjoyable. All right, so you being the Nissan man that you are, right, I'm mm-hmm. curious to know your thoughts on the, what we expect to be called the 400C. What are your thoughts on that car and the thoughts on the car itself, what it means for Nissan as a manufacturer on and how well it would compete in that 
space that the that we think it competes with in the um with the the gr super for example what you know what are your thoughts on this, on the new z car to piggyback on marlon's question like to give it some context like what do you think if you've been paying attention at all you can skip it if you haven't been paying attention you can skip this part but like what what do you think yeah. about nissan's recent issues let's say as a nissan enthusiast well uh, nissan still struggles kind of with an identity crisis you know, there. I don't think Nissan really knows <laughs> what they want to be. You know, with a lot of cars, they tend to hold on to the the car designs that they do have a little bit too long. You know, they kind of don't know when to let go and when it's time to refresh. I mean, that's kind of the one thing that irks me about Nissan is is they're always like the last to update the interiors. It's always the last to add like that next level of technology. Because you you look at it, even like the Z, right? That car was essentially unchanged for what? Years, yeah. 12 years? 12 years. <laughs> yeah. Something, yeah, something ridiculous like that. So it's the, the Z400, I mean, I think is going to be a welcome change. I like the concept that as far as the back, where it looks like the mm-hmm. old 300ZX. Um, I really like what they did with that. You know, obviously the twin turbo, you know, motor going in with a six speed manual is always a winner. Uh, I think it'll help kind of give them a little bit more identity if they can push and reintroduce that you know bring the six speed back into the the q50 in the q60 um i think that's also gonna you know obviously be good for the the manufacturer for the the enthusiast scene you know save the manuals is a must at this point we're we're fighting a losing battle there for a while and until caddy kind of came out with like the black wing and said hey yeah no we're putting the v8 rear wheel drive platform back in the sedan you know it's it it was like seemed like it was on its last. It, it is. It's I think, on its I think last legs. I'm sorry to report. Like that's the last. What you what you, what you, what you see with the caddy is like the last gasp of the manuals, like before they completely. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. And and I'll and I'll be 100 percent honest. I mean, when I saw that, when I saw the specs, and I and I saw they're coming out, I said, all right, uh, it's time to step my foot out of the the Nissan fold and and I think there's going to be a, a CT6 you know like a Blackwing in my somewhat near future you know I, I definitely want to enjoy that before it goes and you know 10 years time I don't even know if we'll have gas cars anymore at the rate that we're going <laughs> say it again say it again for those in the back in like on the bottom yeah. right corner of my screen yeah it, yeah in 10 in 10 years time I don't know if we'll have gas cars between, you know, VW, Volvo, obviously Tesla, which I'm a huge fan of. You know, I I can't deny that the future is marching right towards us, you know, and it's, it's, I don't even want to say gaining steam because that's the opposite of, it's gaining electrons. I feel like that analogy might be a little bit misplaced, but I get (laughs) Just a tad, just a tad. So, yeah, those electrons are coming for us. And uh, I mean, I welcome it. You know, I welcome it. You know, my my dream garage is Tesla Model S Plaid, you know, right next to my Caddy <laughs> V8 Monster rear wheel drive. Thank you for, thank you for answering my next <laughs> you know, question. That was actually going to be my next question. What, 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 what was, second to last question, what cars do you see in your dream garage? Yeah, my dream garage, Tesla Model S Plaid, you know, the new refresh that they're coming out is, uh, you know, the the glimpses that I've seen uh, online, I absolutely love that car. Um, (laughs) I love it. Are you kidding me? Uh, (laughs) Maverick, Maverick, as a pilot, I mean, more than anyone else, you should be looking forward to that. 
sign me up. You know, I was the kid used to pretend to be a fighter pilot <laughs> behind the wheel anyway. So, you know, so, so Tesla sign Model me S up. Plaid, um, man. Yeah, Model S Plaid, you know, CT6V Blackwing. With the manual uh, right away. <laughs> it has to be the manual. That's the only way it comes. Love the Z, the C8, but as far as Corvettes, the C6 will reign forever. You know, I want a C6 ZR1. Oh, and, mm, okay. And, and as far as like the family grocery getter, I mean, I'd settle for an Escalade. That's that's literally like if I if it things went by and said, okay, what cars am I going to add to my garage tomorrow? I'd I love how there's no four. Nissan in that garage. <laughs> Why? But I have my <laughs> Nissan right now. The Nissan is a I have it. <laughs> I'm currently driving. All right. I mean, yeah, if you want to, if you want to, okay, okay. You want to throw in an R34, <laughs> you know, or a GTR, but the GTR. is something here. I don't know what no, it is. No, let me explain. The GTR, right, for me is a heartbreaker. The fact that it never came with a stick. Right now, I'm even having a hard time seeing it. It breaks my heart. How? How can you make such an amazing machine and never have the option for a manual? It, 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 actually, it, it, it physically pains me to think that Nissan made the perfect car and left out the perfect transmission. It hurts. It actually hurts. It, it broke my heart that they never put a manual option. In I mean, being the, the devil's car. advocate, it, it sort Come of on. suits the personality of the car that it didn't have a manual because the whole idea was to make it as easy as possible to drive as fast as possible, right? So, I mean, and... I, <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> I'll give up the half hey, a second saying? on the track. I'll give up the half a second on the track to shift the gears myself. That third pedal, that third pedal... I was going to say, that said, I 100% agree with you, yes. Which is why we say on this podcast, forgo the, forgo the automatic for the... Just get the manual. The only cars that don't that shouldn't have manuals are electric cars because you know obvious. Yeah, everything come with the option of it. Yeah. So last question from me, Sean, and um, this is this is F one related. With Mercedes being the dominant team of the last I don't know decade, for example, because it's you know they've been winning more races and winning more titles in the last decade than anybody else. Do you think this year will be different? Do you think Do you think that with the with the recent um drivers market switcheroos that, that, that have been going on in the last couple of months especially with mercedes only signing lewis hamilton for one year and you know Valtteri boat is the same do you think that mercedes still has what it takes to keep that crown drivers and manufacturers title for this year what do you what, what do you see happening this year in f1 well the smart money says you just you don't bet against mercedes you don't bet against lewis i mean in the last since 2014 You'd have only been right one year since then. And the one year when you would have been <laughs> right as far as Lewis not really winning the championship, you know, we can argue that there were factors that were outside of his control for that. Um, so I would still maintain that Mercedes and Lewis is quite literally the force to beat. I think this year, um, coming up with the changes that have made that have been made, I think there's more uncertainty. Red Bull has Perez now. You know, they were sorely missing a second driver over the last two years. Um, that could really, really give Mercedes consistent problems. That doesn't necessarily mean that Red Bull would have beaten Mercedes to the championship, but I think there would have been a much more of a fight of it, um, you know, between Albon and 
uh, Gasly, you know, just not being able to to keep up with Max um, in Red Bull, you know, that that kind of allowed Mercedes and Lewis a little bit more breathing room. I don't think they'll have that this year. In addition to the way that they've kind of changed the regulations a little bit, as far as uh, regarding the floor, the diffu- mm-hmm. the the diffuser area, that may affect Red Bull. A little, I mean, may affect Mercedes a little bit more than than Red Bull. We don't know, which is why we kind of have to watch to wait and see. But I think if there was any year where Mercedes is really going to have their hands full, um, short of 2018, I think it would be this year that's coming up. With Honda and Red Bull merging and coming together even more, Perez being there, we're not sure where Ferrari is going to be. They've got Signs now, which as a pairing between Signs and Leclerc at Ferrari could also be stronger. Ferrari shenanigans with the changes they had to make. Let's just say politely with the changes they had to make. Let's be sympathetic regarding with them where, where that's concerned. <laughs> no, I, I have no sympathy for Ferrari. Why? Uh, that's, that's, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Excuse me? For, Ferrari deserves no sympathy uh, with their position in F1. I, I am not a Ferrari fan. I will go on record and say that they're suffering. Their tears are delicious to me. All right, <laughs> I drink I drink Ferrari and Tifosi tears <laughs> with a smile. <laughs> so... Ferrari is your Scott Tennerman? Well, I can't get behind Ferrari because of that entitled mentality they have as a team, right? Obviously, I'm an outside observer, but it's it's that air of where Ferrari were supposed to win without actually executing on that, right? Without being that well-oiled machine, without, more importantly, the number one thing that bothers me about Ferrari is essentially the way that their culture is set up. They've been consistently looking for that one guy at the top, right? Who is it that's going to be the lead figure? That's they're treating the management at Ferrari at Formula One like their foot, like they're a, a soccer coach, right? If you don't produce this year, you're out. That's not how Formula One works. You need consist. You need somebody with vision and consistency, and then you need to give the team freedom to execute on that vision to build up that consistency. There's no more magic bullets. There are no more double diffusers that you're going to magically develop that's going to bring your car right to the front. And they don't allow that to happen. You look at how many team principles they've gone through in the last I mean, five, I think, six I think years. everything you said applies to all sports. Right? That's how it should apply to all sports. I mean, well, yes and no. But uh, if you're talking about an, ingeli- an engineering-led exercise, right, which is yeah, what Formula yeah. One is. Yeah, you you don't go changing the chef as soon as, you know, he didn't even finish cooking the meal yet and you're throwing the chef out of the kitchen. It doesn't work. Just this last point on fur, it, it, it seemed as if the uh, the team principal before this one was uh, Mauricio, uh, I can't remember his last name. I remember, yeah. Arriva Ben. He seemed to have been the closest to getting the team to where they needed to because they were making progress over the years. And then it seemed like just when they were on the cusp yep. of, okay, We've made this progress. Let's build on that. He was out. When did they get like seventeen something? And like that's that? but when was he? When did when did they when did they get rid of him? It doesn't need. They got rid yeah. of him. Uh, Two thousand eighteen was his last year. Yeah, and a lot of and see and that's also part of part of the problem. Um, is yes. is politics? Yes. You know, you got you're dealing with polemics in in Ferrari, 
and it doesn't work. And unfortunately, they've because they've been around for so long, right? They think that that's the way it's supposed to be because that's how it used to be in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. You know, you had all these internal political fights. The only time Ferrari had that stability to really execute, right, is when they had a team principal, is when they had a leader or basically three guys that were that said, look, enough of this Italian soap opera. You guys need to realize that we're an engineering-led operation here. We need to be run, basically, the emotions and the kowtowing to the national whims because Ferrari's, mm. you know, the Italian national team. All of this needs to go, and you need to give the team freedom to work. You need to take get rid of all of these distractions. Stop paying attention to all of these headlines. Get your heads down. Focus on our common goal and work, right? They had that with Byrne, with Braun, you know, and Jean Tot. Right. And Ferrari did its thing. They dominated. They had they were insulated from the politics. Right. Well, once that proved that it worked, well, they did the most Italian thing ever, which was, oh, okay, this works. (laughs) Let's change it. (laughs) Clearly, there are other factors at play here for what makes this thing work. Mm. Let's identify those and get rid of these jokers. Yep. You know, it's it's been a comedy show since. And I'm not ashamed to say it, that I watch the Ferrari comedy show with great pleasure. I, I enjoy when they make fools of themselves because they could be so much better, but they continuously are their own worst enemy. For me, that's actually part of part <laughs> of why I enjoy watching Formula One. How badly can Ferrari mess up this today? And then when they do, that's part of what it's not even so much that Lewis that my team wins. It's it's how spectacularly and each time they fail, fail. It, and each time they fail, it just it, it just surprised. Oh wow, they they just rose to a new low. Them <laughs> so like I said, thank you. They rose to a new low. That should be Ferrari's <laughs> motto. Ferrari mission win now. We rise to a new oh low. God. <laughs> you made them sound like a morning cartoon villain. You know, they keep on undermining themselves like Skeletor. Or- <laughs> you win this time, Mercedes. <laughs> this is the entertainment that Formula One provides. It's not just the racing. Because if you want, uh, I'll be honest, if you want great open real racing, that's what IndyCar road courses are, road courses are for, right? But if you're here for the, the engineering and you're here for the drama and the overall story, yes. That's what Formula One is, right? That's what a lot of people don't realize, especially if you're new. Well, I will say Drive to Survive is is doing a pretty good job. Yes, of, actually, um, the Netflix yeah, series the, uh, the, the is doing a good job, yeah, yeah of, of, of getting people involved. Yep. Um, but for someone that's been following in it, you know, religiously for the better course of you know fifteen years or so, it's the drama. It's the drama, right? In Formula Absolutely. One, it's the drama. It's it's the big picture. It, if someone just shows up and they see, oh, you know, a Ferrari designed a questionable engine or they got power by questionable me. For me, then watching them the next year when they suffer from that, it's, it's part like, of the drama. It's it's part yeah, of what it's your it all. failure is like is like the blood courses through my veins. It gives me a reason to live. <laughs> Did you hear the thoughts in my head? I didn't know that technology even got better. this far. You watch sports to, to watch their favorite team win. This guy watches sports to watch his favorite team continue to fail. <laughs> or come close. Your favorite team to lose. That's what I'm saying. Like, your least favorite, I guess. Yeah. So, it took Lewis Hamilton to make me realize that I wasn't really a McLaren fan the way I thought I was. 
you know, I have a soft spot for McLaren, you know, Mika is, you know, kind of the like coolest driver ever. Not the most successful, but Mika's like the coolest driver ever. But when Lewis left McLaren and I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I realized I was more of a of a Lewis supporter than I was a McLaren supporter. I still have a soft spot for them and I still, especially now that, that Ricardo is there. But it, it took Lewis leaving McLaren for me to realize that, oh, I actually follow the drivers a little bit more than I do the teams. Because if I support a team, but the drivers that are there are underwhelming, then I'm like, I'm not so sure, you know, where I stand there. Maybe I, I don't want to call myself that yeah, fair weather fan, but no, you support. I want to say I'm the same because I was a I was a huge McLaren fan back in the back in the aughts or the nuts, which you you know the 2000s. And sure. after Lewis left McLaren, I went to Mercedes. That's when I was like, wait, wait a second. Like it took me two years after he left to kind of realize, well, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. And just like you, I, yeah. I do have because a soft spot from, from McLaren. Whenever they win, I'm cheering. It's like, yo, good. You guys got second and third. Yep. Awesome. Great. Yep. I'm just a Lewis Hamilton fan. I follow his success. I am excited that he's gotten this successful in the last 10 years. I wish him continued success. Sure. You know? But yeah, I'm more fan of the driver than I am the team is what I've come to realize. Let me ask you guys this. Yep. Let me ask you guys yeah. this. Do you guys have a soft spot for the uh, Chicago Bulls? The, Michael yeah, Jordan Chicago Bulls. Would you have a soft nostalgia spot for the Bulls for that. as a team? The Bulls in general? But, yeah. So I have to go on record and say as far as um, sports, if it's not Formula <laughs> One, I'm clueless. I'll, I'll just have to be honest. If somebody, if, if it was a life and death situation and somebody told me tomorrow that I had to name 10 current NBA players, mm. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I got problems. Yeah, I just, guess your I, family is going to get wiped out. If <laughs> 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 five I, current so, NBA players or your but, family is gone, like, ah, well, sorry, Kim. Five, five, I could, I can see, I can you name, name five. Right? I can name five. I can name five. Retired. Oh, he's not. Yeah, he retired. But I mean, Curry's still playing. KD still playing. LeBron's still playing. Come on, babe. Come on. Uh, <laughs> so mm. close. Kyrie's still playing. You're all right. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're, good. You're, good. Right? you're good. You're good. You're good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah no if worries. it's NFL, though, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm all right. Out the window. All right. So, guys, we went a little <laughs> bit over the hour or so, but I mean, this has been a very, very fantastic uh, conversation. Just want to say a huge thank you to to Sean for taking time out of his uh, really busy schedule there to answer questions about the car shipping. Talk a little bit about his uh, in, about the enthusiast side. Get his take on where the, on, on what the industry is, what where Nissan is going, <laughs> and just kind of you know be a part of the podcast for for an hour or so. So Sean, massive thank you. Hope to pick your brain again at some point in the near future on another episode. You're always welcome here. My pleasure. Um, yeah, it's very enjoyable. And wow, yeah, t- I guess time does fly when you're having fun because <laughs> I didn't realize, yeah, we were over an hour in. All right, yo, Sean, I, for me personally, thanks again, man. Thanks for showing up. Sean Anderson, everybody. Father, husband, entrepreneur, Nissan hero, racer. Yo, you still, racer. You, got it, you still got your um, your, uh, <laughs> your sim, your driving set up for your, for your video games or you don't have no time for that anymore? <laughs> No, that's that's unfortunately long gone. But I actually, I'm looking. I it's in the docket because when I did have it, my daughter actually was Ooh, yeah. getting pretty decent yeah. at it. So 
Yeah, we'll we'll have to get that set up back and get the whole Gran Turismo and the F one games and and run GT7's it with a PS five. Get the PS five GT seven. Yeah, see, see, like again, I've I've been so far out of the scene Don't the worry, last you, can't find, you know couple of years. You can't find you have time. Well, when you get <laughs> last, well, when you get back into that, uh, that's gonna be another con- topic on the on the episode. Oh. deal we got i got a couple yeah a couple a couple other projects to get to get done but yeah i'm, I'm working on basically capturing my time Good again deal. so it's Good yeah deal. we'll, we'll right, get guys. that done. we'll get that done thanks for joining us i really appreciate you dude you're a friend of the show you can show up anytime you want man all right guys remember sean anderson vice auto imports vice one logistics vice one logistics vice one logistics yeah and that's Sean, SeanShipsCars.com, and I spell it phonetically. I spell it the right way. It's S-H-A-W-N. It's and Sean, Sean Shipscars Shipscars cars on Instagram. You're going to find him there as well. All right? All right, guys. Thanks again for joining us, Sean. There you go. Massive thank you again, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. All right, Roadhogs. Thank you, gentlemen. Peace out. Thanks.